welcome to Changing Academic Life. I'm Geraldine Fitzpatrick, and this is a podcast series where academics and others share their stories, provide ideas, and provoke discussions about what we can do individually and collectively to change academic life for the better. My guest today is Dr. Chris Fraunberger from Technical University Vienna. Unlike many other guests, Chris is still in that tenuous postdoc position. In our conversation, he looks back on his career and reflects on the many choices and decisions he and his partner have made in trying to navigate both of their career concerns. This has involved moving countries at different times and also for Chris, taking time off to look after their children. He talks about the impact this has had on his career and CV. So now back in academia, he shares his experiences in managing his own project team and also trying to do all the things that he thinks he needs in order to develop his CV and profile. And while he's ideally hoping for a tenured position, he reflects on the impact of the uncertainty of it all and what he does and doesn't have control over and has this lovely way of reframing this hope as just one of multiple dreams for his future. So, Chris, thanks for joining me today, and thank you for coming such a long way. (laughs) (laughs) It hasn't been very long. (laughs) From the office next door. Yeah, thank Uh, you. So we work together, so this will be an interesting conversation, putting it into a different context. So, yeah, I was really interested in just speaking with you because of your experiences around being a postdoc and because of your experiences taking parental leave. And we often just think about parental leave in terms of women and their experiences and stories. I think it's really useful as well to get the experience from a father's perspective as Mm. well. Mm. So just just for context, you did your master's in Austria in Linz and then went to postdoc in... Queen Mary in London? Um, I mean, PhD? Yes, both. (laughs) Yeah, um, I I did my master's here at the Technical University in Graz in in Austria. Um, And then um, initially I wasn't quite sure whether I I wanted an academic career. So I I kind of started working at the university as a research assistant without any intention to do a PhD first. Was that just because you were offered the chance to earn um, some money as a student. I liked, I liked the environment of, of the university yeah. to, you know, be in an environment that I, w- I was just curious and in and, and, and different topics. Yeah. And, and uh, I was offered that position as part of a project at the Institute of Electronic Music and Acoustics. And for two years, that was, you know, a fun experience. But I, I kind of then realized that if I want to keep doing this, I probably need to kind of you know, think about a career within academics, and and that was when um, I, I I started emailing people that I met in my first academic conference, uh, which was quite weird and 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 probably in hindsight it was a bit naive in terms of like just emailing people like Stephen Brewston was like I want to come and do a PhD but you have to pay me, <laughs> um, and but. It, you know, as as you do, and, and you're you're a little bit naive and a little bit bold, maybe. And one of these opportunities just worked out, and mm. I got a department uh, departmental scholarship at Queen Mary London University, and um, did my PhD there for uh, for years, and um, and then I moved on to Sussex University as a postdoc for yep. two and a half, almost three years. Yeah. 
Was there a big so, cultural difference going from Austria to the UK? Yes, very much. Um, so, In academia, I know, yeah, generally, yeah, yeah, yeah. of yeah. course there's a cultural difference. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I thought, you know, I, I was doing my undergrads and my master at a technical university and, and I think now I know that you know that the whole German speaking world is probably a bit more technical or engineering orientated and that was how I kind of perceived my own education there as well right. but um, then moving to England kind of really uh, opened a lot of you know um, doors for me and a lot of uh, new questions um, it was it was for me it was sort of like a, a learning to think critically about things that I do and um, it, it might also have been um, that I was just very lucky to be in a research group that kind of really supported that very well where mm -hmm. A, a lot of the social events in the evening you would spend in a bar or somewhere else and talking about each other's research in on a level where you could critique everyone and, mm -hmm. and you know it, and and that was a an amazing and everybody would come with a different background and, and tell you something about you know his his take on what you do mm. and and that was a um, an eye-opening experience I, I learned really really a lot during these PhD years they were really formative for me mm. and in many ways, and it was a was a fantastic group that I was in, and and um, yeah, it, it was it's just the environment was was great. So was it always positive? Because you're making it sound like it was all wonderful. Uh, no. <laughs> well, you know, after my after my one year transfer interview, I thought I'd, I'll pack my my coffers and and, and okay. off I go back to Austria because they're not going to pay me anymore for for what I do. So. I mean, was that I, I a was bit also, problematic, or uh, it was some just the level of scrutiny that I did? I wasn't used to. Yeah. I, it was just um, I had for my transfer interview. I had like ten slides prepared, and, and after one and a half hours, we were at, at slide number three, I think, and, and <laughs> not counting the title slide. Um, and it was just the, you know, the the again. I think there was a, a fundamental process of critical thinking mm. that I wasn't so used to you know stepping back and asking yourself what you're doing and and what it is what you want to find out and whether what you're doing is actually leading to to that kind of insight that you're after mm. and and shaping that problem just took a little while and mm. after a year I, you know I've the other day I found my PhD proposal on my computer and and skimmed it through and that was a quite funny moment in a way because you um, at the time I thought I had it all mapped out I just mm. needed to do it and and none of the things that I described in that proposal actually made it in my PhD well it's, none but it's yeah. roughly the, yeah. the topic the theme yeah. was there but it, is, is this the proposal at the very beginning of entry or was this the proposal yeah, of that transition was, no transfer? it was the proposal for my depo uh, departmental scholarship okay. so I needed to kind of yeah. give them yeah. four pages and in hindsight it was quite funny because I think the head of group Pat Haley looked at the proposal and, and I, I, he must have been quite sure that this is not what I'm going to do. And he said, fine, you know, and, and, and I think there was an intention on their side for me to just go in and experience mm. it. And, and they probably mm. knew that if they would have told me, I wouldn't mm. have listened at the time. Yeah. 
which is pretty normal, both that, <laughs> that aspect and also the fact that what you end up doing looks nothing like what you thought initially that you were going to do yeah. or not much like. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I don't, um, yeah. And, and it's, it's funny how yeah. resilient you are in, in, in you know, marching on until you really see there is something wrong with what mm. you're doing. And, mm. and you know, and, and in my transfer interview, that became really apparent in a very positive and constructive way. It was not, you know, it was not a, personally, it wasn't a traumatic experience. It was just really a wake-up call. It's like, think about what you do. It just I, sound, I was just going to say, it sounds like it was one of those times we went, oh, I've still got a lot of thinking to Yeah, do. yeah. No, so a transfer interview, just to be clear, is, say, between your first year moving into the next year yeah officially in the uk it's uh, that you start your phd um, officially as a master's another master's degree and after a year you transfer from the master's program into the phd program and in essence i think it's the point where everybody involved looks at it and thinks that could be a phd Mm. um, and they want to give themselves some time to kind of evaluate that which i think is quite sensible So fear postdoc moving down to Sussex, mm. was that something that was a, a topic area that you were interested in or was it someone else's topic area that you learnt to love? How did, how did you yeah, negotiate? It, it, it was a, topic-wise, it was a bit of a shift because um, I was in auditory displays mm. and, and sound and, and computers uh, for my PhD. And, um, I, but, but then... You know, I had three years of scholarship for the PhD, and I, I still was I was falling short <laughs> for my final year of the PhD. And and Pat, Pat Haley uh, had always a really good um, sense of uh, you know finding monies from here and there to mm. kind of sustain the, the the pushing things over the line to kind of to make this last little bit happen. Um, and and. I started working for as a, as a basically as a technician for his augmented human interaction lab. What, after your real after, PhD after my, funding, finished. after my PhD funding yeah. finished, I for the last I don't know it wasn't even a year I think yeah. it was three quarters of a year. Yeah. He, I was paid for doing some work in in this new lab, and it was really interesting work, and it was it was also nice to kind of balance off the writing of the thesis with some work that wasn't directly related to it and and I got into kind of mixed reality human interaction things and 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 somebody from uh, the London Knowledge Lab uh, heard about this about that lab and and she came to visit and and I showed her the system that we did with avatars walking up and doing social interactions with somebody and so there was motion capture involved and stuff um, and 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 they were just about to start a project on autism, and I had no idea about autism at all. Mm. Um, but they knew that they they needed somebody to to understand uh, human social interaction as well as the computer science of doing mm. virtual avatars and and you know and some, somewhere in between. So in that respect, I was I was quite a natural fit for that. But it was serendipity in a way that. A, that you're just able to get this uh, interim funding while you're writing your PhD and that she happened to visit. Yeah, no, at a time I've, when you had the need. absolutely. Um, there was, and, and, and then she encouraged me to kind of apply for the job for the postdoc mm-hmm. in that. And, and I actually applied for two postdocs um, because um, one was based in London and one was based at Sussex. But I already kind of said that I felt that maybe the, the part at Sussex would suit me better. And and that was the job that I 
I got mm. and, and um, set me off on a, on a completely different track in a way um, in the beginning as you do you, you sort of like try to kind of pull some of your topics over to a new project and mm. I tried to do sound interfaces for autistic children but that sort of like fizzled out in more and more and it's funny I think sometimes it kind of comes back to me this whole background because there is every now and then I, I understand modalities in a different mm. way because it's my background yeah but um, overall, I think I've, I've moved on from, from there. And in hindsight, I, I think um, there, there is something kept the same. It was the, the concern of, of, of people using technology. And, mm. and in my auditory display work, it was mainly the visually impaired. Mm. Um, but... But really so there was, was a grander a, narrative. There, there was a grander na- narrative about mm. people who wouldn't be considered mainstream mm. using technology and yeah. what technology means in their lives. And this is, I don't know, maybe this is a, a retrospective reconstruction. But um, it, it, in a way, I like to think that this is what kind of is still a, a constant in, in my, my thread mm. and, and my work. Yeah. And, yeah, then I started at Sussex um, doing my, my PhD there and, and it was a, a relatively large UK project where eight universities came together to build uh, technology for autistic children to scaffold their social skills development. And we did um, big screens with avatars on them, touch screens and, and um, psychologists uh, talking about interventions. And, and I, I sort of like... But back then, I, I sort of like came into this participatory design thinking, where you know I was I was just part my part of my Sussex role was to kind of um, think about how we could involve children in the development of that technology, mm. and participatory design felt familiar but was quite unknown to me. I. I, I I think my my values aligned very well with the idea of that, mm. but I hadn't done any uh, participatory design before, so that was, you know, opening up a new field for me as well. And it ended up being probably one of my central fields now, which I really like. Um, Actually, both the autism and the participatory design. I would even say now that the the participatory design is is cl- even closer to my heart. Autism mm. is a very interesting. Um, field and, and a very interesting case for me but I, I think central to me is, is this general idea that you know how can we make technology in ways that involves people and and that gets even more pronounced if you're sort of like working on the fringes of the mainstream where you know it becomes harder to involve mm. people or where it's it's tremendously complicated about power structures and, and all that and everything around this, you know, is, is is there in autism. But I think the the social value thing is what really kind of drives yeah. it. So. It's interesting the way that there's been this sort of ongoing subtle change of emphasis you know, with new experiences as you gain them in projects or gain opportunities to explore a moving from the auditory to autism to picking up participatory design and sort of finding something mm. where you really feel like, you, you know, sitting in this position now saying PD is really where you would locate yourself. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it certainly was a little bit accidental, but um, I, I quite like 
where I ended up, yeah. <laughs> in a way. And, and it was, was also, I think, accidental because I, I remember when I when I was about to finish my PhD, I I, I wasn't very strategic about where I want to go next. It was, um, as I say, it was a bit of a um, things just happened in a way, mm. and I, 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 I just. I, also, with going to London, it was the same decision. It, it just felt right. I mm. never questioned really mm. that decision, mm -hmm. and I hadn't five offers kind of lined up for me, and then mm. made a conscious, rational decision about this. But um, it, it felt the right thing to do, and, and um, the, my, my partner was pregnant at the time as well, which kind of made me think, uh, probably need a job. <laughs> probably um, need a job. <laughs> And 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 so, I, I don't mean this. I, I didn't rush into that yeah. decision. It, it, yeah. it, it wasn't something that was just good enough because I needed a job. Yeah. But uh, it felt right, and it, and I loved the idea of moving down to Brighton, mm. uh, and 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 uh, I really embraced all the challenges that this new project kind of mm. came with, and uh, it 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 was, I think, a, a very good decision. So, can you tell me any more about feeling right? Um, yeah, I don't know how. Because you're contrasting yeah. that with being more strategic, and yeah, I think I think um, we'll probably talk about this later. But uh, it, the, there there are sometimes um, situations where you, you think you sh you probably should be doing this, and if you weigh it all up and write it down on a, on a piece of paper, you, you should be doing this, and then it still doesn't feel quite right, mm. and and. I don't know. There are always different reasons for this, mm. um, and then the, I have discovered for myself the the moment I start really thinking about whether that is a good idea or not, I'm already kind of um, more inclined not to do it. Mm -hmm. And if if it feels like oh, I never really thought about doing whether whether I should be doing this or not, I just did it. That's that's the occasions where it feels right because mm. you don't even think about mm. not doing it. And the word that you used a lot before in describing that was shoulds. I should yeah. be doing this. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. Is yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't think that I was very strategic for my career from the start. You know, mm. just having these two years in the beginning where I, I just, I don't know, I just like working at the university and, 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 and only after two years I, it dawned on me that maybe... I need to be a bit more strategic to keep keep on doing this, right? And um, and and in at a lot of um, junctions, I think I've, I've not made the most rational or strategic choice. Mm. Um, but you know, but it sounds like they're choices that have worked out well and that you're happy with. No, I, I, there's also no no point in not being happy with yeah. them because you can't yeah, reverse them anyway. Yeah. Uh, so there's a there's a way of like flow that you need to succumb to in yeah. a way you know and, and things happen to you and you you start you try to kind of steer it in the mm. direction where where you think mm. it's good um, mm. and whether it is or not you will never know yeah and and I'm not unhappy with where I ended up yeah in all both in terms of what I do for my research and and also how my my career kind yeah. of went for you know I'm, I'm still here. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> so you mentioned about your partner being pregnant. Can you tell us some of that story about yeah, the whole family was, situation? And so it was. It was. <laughs> it was a, a 
difficult thing from from the start because my partner and I we already lived together in Graz while we were doing our masters, um, and and then I said that I want to do this PhD in London, and that was obviously, um, you know, we needed a way to kind of do this also logistically, and I, and and I persuaded the people in London that I could do a PhD with them uh, without being there full time, so I. I kind of managed to get half a job in Graz and half a job in London, so half a departmental scholarship. And and there was an agreement that I would travel forth and back every month for, I don't know. Um, and that was tremendously difficult to set up with letters from head of institutes being sent to the other head of institute and, and reassurements that the topics would align and, mm. and that everybody was pulling and, and into the same direction. That you weren't sitting on the beach the yeah, whole time telling the other yeah, party yeah. that you were somewhere else. Uh, the problem was that when, when I actually managed to, to pull this off, um, my partner got an offer from Brussels <laughs> about a month later. So, and and for my, my initial re- reaction was that, oh, you can't be doing this. And of course she did, uh, and and rightly so. She did. Mm. You know, it was a, an amazing opportunity for, for her to do something that she always wanted. Uh, mm. She's a translator. She went to to do uh, translation work for the European Union, uh, and and that was always you know something that she really wanted to do. And so for about three years, I ended up travelling between London, Brussels, and and Graz, um, and it ended up being more often than every month. Right. Uh, luckily. London and Brussels was already kind of linked by the Eurostar, so it was about two, two and a half hours on the train between mm. them. But uh, still, there was a lot of... I think most of my thesis got written on a plane or a train. Um, That's a lot of was, travel, really. Yeah, it was. Over an extended yeah. period of time. And, and it was also financially um, a problem because I had to maintain two rooms, one in Graz and one in London, yeah. and, I, and I rented you know, the one out that I wasn't at at the moment. Um, and it, but I yeah no it worked out and then my partner um, she, uh, she moved over to the UK and we both moved after my PhD we both moved to Brighton um, where our son was born um, and um, she took some time out from her job and then um, you know I was I was doing my my first postdoc and I've I don't know. I'm, I really love the UK, and I, I would have, if it, it was, if it would have been just for me, I think I would have liked to stay in the UK because my all my networks um, were in the were in the UK, particularly within within universities, and you know, and I could see myself on a on a career path mm. in the UK that would lead somewhere. I don't yeah. know, but. Um, uh, th- then after two and a half years in Brighton, my partner had this offer to come back to Brussels on a permanent position, and and that comes with all you know the benefits that has. And and again, my initial reaction was, "Oh, you can't be doing this." And and again, of course, <laughs> did you, you know, actually say that to her, or was that just a <laughs> thought? Then I don't know. Thought in your head, I might have put that in different words. But, um, <laughs> uh, Again, of course, you know, the longer we talked about this, it, it made perfect sense. You know, I was on, a, on, a, on an ending contract and, mm. and she had the opportunity to kind of go there and, and, and have a, a permanent position, a fonctionnaire. And, and, and 
it all meant, and it, it, and it was a family kind of insurance thing as well. You know, whatever happens, that job would feed us, and 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 you know, she, there there's there were so many ups yeah. to that decision that we just um, decided to do that. Um, so, so is this a decision where you did sit down and map it out for and against rather than feel or? Because that sounds like a more logical, rational decision. It does that sound process that um, you went through for that but, one. I don't know. I, I didn't have the feeling that it it was a very rational decision yeah. in the end. Yeah. It just felt, you know, of course we're going to do this because mm -hmm. it makes sense. Mm -hmm. And and a part of me was against it um, because, as I said, like mm -hmm. professionally for me that was quite difficult. Um, but then also we had a one-year-old and and um, their dear having a break and and spending time with him, you know, was was appealing mm. <laughs> and it was really nice mm. to, you know to do things maybe differently and, and not do the the, the blueprint of, an, of, of the career that would be in front of you but yeah it sounds a bit more like now that you say it, it sounds a bit more like a rational decision but I don't think it really was it was it was relatively quick it wasn't nights spent on yeah. lists with yeah. pros and cons it was like more like um, really you want to go there and then think about it and yeah you actually you're right I think that is what we should be doing and it was emotionally hard for me to leave the UK because I always took pride to live in the UK and, yeah. and I'm, I'm sort of like I love the culture of the country and, and, and um, I felt this was special to me and then moving to Brussels was like oh, I'm, I'm not sure you know there was a mm. there, there were for me personally there were a lot of unknowns I don't mm. speak French yeah. I don't speak Flemish um, and and for the kind of work that I I wanted to do you know more and more this kind of participatory design work uh, not knowing the language is just a killer it is a little bit, isn't it? It's hard to it, go and just, observe um, or talk to people. It, does, it just doesn't work. I mean, yeah. Brussels is, is tremendously international and you, you get by in English very easily. Yeah. But at the same time, if you really want to do the work, yeah. it, it, and, and I, you know, I wanted to do participatory design work with children, there's, there's also... The, the problem was also... I, think, I don't think you, you learn French well enough within two years of courses to do... The, the kind of participatory design that I wanted to do. So there was also a little bit of a bleak perspective. Yeah. And, and so it was good for the family, but mm, the, the, it was risky for you personally, professionally. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the kind of the deal was that um, I, um, you, you just took up your chair here in Vienna, right? And, and you had a position going just when I moved to Brussels. And I knew, I, I know we had a discussions about whether I should apply for that. And, and, and I wrote back, it's a really bad timing, we're just moving to Brussels and I can't do anything about that. But there was the deal between me and my partner that, you know, if, if something in Vienna works out, we would move on and then it would be my turn again to kind of try and, and, and do something in my career and and that was sort of like an unspoken well not, no it wasn't unspoken it was a, an agreed mm. um, kind of arrangement um, and so in a way I when I when I arrived in Brussels I I, I enjoyed a good life <laughs> um, but also I tried to kind of 
do a little bit of publishing. It's you know, there's, it's quite amazing when you're not starting a new project after an old one ends. There's still so much you can publish mm. without you know, without being employed by a university. Mm. And and I was affiliate. I kind of kept a, an affiliation with University of Sussex just to have a, a name on the paper. But um, I published a little um, and. Uh, all to do journals because I couldn't go to conferences. There was no funding left, mm. of course. Um, and and I wrote uh, grant applications. And um, the idea was that you know if if something works out in Vienna, I would be we would all be going to Vienna. My partner said like Vienna would be a place that she would be you know going. And she and also. And you came from Vienna. Your family was from Vienna. No, no, no. I'm, I'm um, originally I came from from Salzburg. Both of mm. my siblings live in Vienna, mm. so I know the city a little bit. But mm. I've never actually lived right. in the city before I moved here to, three years ago. Um, and yeah, it was it it was just a time where I think you know there was a lot of uncertainty, but also there was a lot of security because I didn't need to worry about. Um, income or feeding the family mm. or anything that was all provided for it was more my own personal what I, what do i do with my career and um and i i started you know after i think two proposals failed i started kind of thinking what if i don't get back into that loop you know and and, and because there obviously is a point where if you haven't published enough for two or three years, you know nobody will give you money to kind of be a, a PI. And um, <clears throat> I started talking to design companies about possible roles, and 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 with one I I actually came quite far, and and it was just then a little bit unfortunate that there was not enough work for them to do for, to to hire me. But this right, was, was in Brussels. In Brussels, yeah. sorry, yes. Um, but I think the I think it was the third grant proposal that I wrote at that time that finally got funded. And I remember quite vividly when I took the call and 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 found out that this is funded. And I was alone in, in the flat in, in in Brussels, and I was like, "Oh God, <laughs> you know, we have to kind of bring all this." To Austria now, and it was almost a bit of frightening thought that it came true, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. this, but again, I think there was a there was a sense there were no big discussions of whether we should be doing this or not. Partly because we agreed upon it before, but even then, you know, it was yes, you know, and, and I'm, I'm my partner felt in a way the same sting when she left Brussels as I felt when I left the UK, but. It, for both of us, I think it that you know we we don't neither of us I think regrets any of that. Mm. It just was a a good good thing to do. Um, so did you did you agree how long that time in Brussels would be, or how long it would be that you would be looking after the kids at home? Um, or no, did it, no. Was it just playing it by ear and having this more general agreement tried, I, that if something came up, you'd take advantage of it next time? Um, I, 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 try, I tried immediately, right? I, I thought, mm-hmm. like, we needed to stay... For Barbara to kind of move into permanent, permanent, mm-hmm. um, it, it needed, like, a year or so in employment. Mm-hmm. So there was, was a minimum proba- year. Proba- probation period yeah. or something. But um, 
but after that, I thought like we we're going to be off to Vienna pretty soon, yeah. and I I, I, th I sort of like thought you know how long could you possibly delay that that, and I I now think that it was probably the last chance mm -hmm. I would have mm -hmm. I would have stopped trying after that point proposal, right. and would have gone somewhere else or done something mm -hmm. else. I so think it was the last, and also if, I think if you look at my it actually really shows in, in my Google Scholar page. Mm. It's quite funny. It's, it's just like the Uncanny Valley where <laughs> you see a dip. And th that dip was exactly those three years that I spent in Brussels uh, where you're not going to conferences, you're not cited because nobody hears you speaking. No, nobody, you know, there's all this kind mm. of... It's not just about writing journal publications mm. that might or not might not be read, but there's the whole social networking that you miss out on that makes a tremendous difference to your age index yeah. you know, as, as silly as it is but uh, it, it's sort of like when people hear you talk and you give a good talk about um, something that you care about and you're enthusiastic about then people start citing you for what they heard mm. and <clears throat> um, I didn't have that and, and, and it shows right it shows in, mm. in, in the curve and I don't think that I would have survived another year on that. So the three years, you're saying sort of it's the limit. It sounds like it's the limit of both um, trying yet again for another proposal and the way, would it get funded or not? So, you know, having gone through that cycle and also just feeling like it's harder to get back in and the whole CV and starting to reframe other options in your head. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean... Yeah, in terms of CV, I think it's quite clear, you know, what you miss out on. Yeah. You're not being asked to do any service roles or, you know, yeah. have visibility in communities yes, that, that you want to be it's in. that whole visibility, isn't it, and you, networking. You, that yeah, you, you totally miss out on that. Mm. And, um, and so the other thing as well, I think it's tiring, you know, if you're, if you're without any support structure around you, you you're just writing grant proposals up. Um, from, I don't know, 9 to 3 and then you pick up the kits. And, and so this is what I was going to ask you as well. How did you get the motivation to do that? Because I'm just thinking about myself and I could imagine intending to write the papers and write the grant proposals but without any of those other structures maybe um, not getting to it. I had, yeah, I, I don't know. I think I had a sense that there was something that I wasn't quite finished with Mm -hmm. um, that kind of drove that um, and I, I think part of that was that you know my engagement in that bigger project in the UK um, where I entered in, in, a new kind of space in terms of participatory design and autism and children and um, but it, it, in my view it, it was not doing the right thing and I learned a lot by the failures of the project, mm -hmm. I think overall it it, it is considered a, a successful project. Yeah. It's not, you know, yeah. it was a big failure. But for me, uh, I the more I was doing it, I, I saw many things that I fundamentally would want to do differently. Yeah. And a lot of what I was trying to write up in that time in Brussels was bouncing off that project mm. in ways that you know there there were. It, it, it was more instructive. There was more technology to to almost train children to to ha have certain skills and, and 
in the social arena. And I always thought that maybe technology has different roles there. And, and, and we saw that in between things, right? There were a lot of studies where we, we did a lot of video coding and, 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 and we looked for specific cues. But then a lot of the really interesting stuff happened when we switched off the camera or in the breaks or when the, ca- when the system broke down and, 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 and these kind of things. And, and there, something really interesting happened. And, and there you could see that technology could have different mm-hmm. roles. Mm-hmm. And that was something that really spurred me on and, 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 and sort of like gave me the motivation to write something up and say, like, in this space, I really want to do it differently. Mm-hmm. And that, ha- that was an idea that I had while I was at Sussex already. And, and I, I, I had, I think, one or two unsuccessful proposals in the UK about mm-hmm. this. Um, so I had, I had something that I, I thought was was unfinished business in that in that sense yeah. right and the luxury well the luxury the the time to actually think about it because sometimes yeah. when you move on to a next project or a different job i, it, I feel it like i was in a, in, a, in a very privileged position, yeah. position at the time yeah. because you know all the financial pressures were taken off me um, mm. i i could spend as much or uh, time with my kids as i wanted um, nevertheless, you know, I brought them to kindergarten. I had a couple of hours. I did the cooking, did the shopping, and, and, and but I carved out like three hours a day. It's mm. surprising how little actually you can do. Um, when even just you know, if 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 you try and, and run the household, you, you sort of like um, you think you have the whole day, and then you end up with two hours of writing time. Mm. Um, and I had you know m- m- my son eating. Uh, the soil out of the uh, out of the pots during Skype calls and, and because I didn't uh, I wasn't paying attention so I, we had all so that but it's um, looking after his biome is yeah that, that kind. yeah but um, it by the end of the day you know you, I had the the headspace yeah. to really do something yeah. around this because I had yeah. literally nothing else to do yeah. so in, in terms of professional mm-hmm. energy. So interesting trade-offs, aren't they? You know, the, the time and space to do the writing, but the trade-off in the loss of networking and visibility and the dip in the CV yeah, yeah, and what absolutely. that does for the CV. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Would you, is there anything that you could imagine now that you could do? Because we are talking some years ago and the way social media's moved on, for example, and the world's moved on. Are there any things that, if you were repeating that time now, that you think could be done differently to try and maintain some of that networking or visibility? I think I'm, I'm using Twitter much more strategically now. So mm. I really, I don't use it for any private, I have different Twitter account for any mm. private things. Yeah. And, and I'm using, you know, one Twitter account specifically to connect and, and make some of my work visible. Mm. And I think that I learned to, to do that in a better way um, and and that certainly would help but I think ultimately it, it it's these many small conversations that you have and you meet people and you just they know your face they know who you are and, and you you know you might have a drink together and, 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 and I find I, I don't think that you can easily replace yeah, that. I, okay. I think there is there is something in there where you know people also see where you're coming from, where that they couldn't see in your papers. Yeah, you know, there's, there's just you can write your paper up, but then 
people often say like um, you know the kind of work you do and that I think largely largely is inferred from a lot of conversations rather than the bunch of papers mm. that you produced yeah yeah, yeah I think I'd because agree you have a value set you have a, a certain way of thinking about problems and yeah you, and once you get to know that you could almost anticipate how that person would start thinking about mm. another problem and you contact them for a proposal for example mm. you know you wouldn't be contacted on a, for a proposal if, if, if you know just well there is this, if you have a very specific expertise that's needed on paper you would be contacted but I think a lot of the proposals also get organized around people that work well with each other and and know that fundamentally they they have similar value sets or, yes. or, or perspectives on yes. things and even if they're coming from very different perspectives they they pull the thing in the right direction mm. yeah yeah so just one thing, I remember you saying that one of the, so for a lot of people who take parental leave, there are ways of accounting officially for that time. And when you're putting in an application for a next job or for a next proposal mm. or grant, being able to say this was leave, you fell yeah. between some cracks there a bit, didn't you? Yes, because, <clears throat> I mean... Um, my contract at Sussex was ending anyway and I think we moved a little bit before the contract officially ended mm. <clears throat> and I did some work from Brussels for Sussex but that was only a couple of months I think mm. yeah. um, and and then I just was unemployed Yeah. Um, and uh, as soon as you don't have an employer nobody gives you a confirmation that you're on parental leave I was just unemployed for two and a half years and, and for example, for the ERC, the European Research Council, um, <clears throat> for all the kind of young researcher um, uh, funding schemes, that doesn't count. You know, you, you, you're not eligible anymore because you're missing out on these three years. Mm. And I, I do. Whereas, if you did have a certificate from an employer that said that official would, parental leave, yeah, exactly, it's, that would have it's been extended, calculated right? yeah. in a different way. And I, I mean. It's the same nationally here in Austria. I, there's an ERC starting grant equivalent in Austria that mm. I uh, applied for, but this is the last year I can apply for because they also don't recognise these two and a half years as, yeah. as, as because they have the same rules. They, they, you know, they basically have the have the view that they can't, you know, know what you've done in these two uh, and a half mm. years or three years. Mm. And, and you can still write <coughs> that in a cover letter, but it's, yeah. it's the and official I, yeah. calculation of it, and, isn't and it, in terms of eligibility? And yeah, and you made me do that much more than I did that before. Uh, <laughs> so I'm writing in, into every kind of cover letter or, or even in, into the CV now that I was in parental leave um, for that period of time without you know, providing a certificate and, and explaining, just explaining that situation yeah. in the text yeah. so that people could also interpret the the <clears throat> the publication and and the the Ancony Valley that I yeah, have in my age yeah, index yeah. Um, in the right way yeah and I would hope that we're all getting better or you know, we can be kind to one another and look at sort of how to how to properly read and interpret people's CVs if we're doing evaluations I I hope so I hope so too <laughs> so you did end up getting uh, despite all the you know, rejections that you <coughs> talked about, you did end up mm. getting a big project funded. Um, that was really brilliant, where you yeah. were the 
head uh, chief investigator, principal, principal investigator. Sorry, I just <laughs> lost my words. Uh, principal investigator and able to employ people. Yeah, that how was, was that? That was moving into quite I a different mean, role. Yeah, and it was it was amazing because it really enabled me to kind of do the thing that I wanted to do, and that was you know now that I know how that is, I'm, I'm never going to go back to mm. <laughs> uh, the other thing, but. Um, it was amazing because I I could employ two PhDs. I was paid myself for for three years, and it was exactly the kind of project that I wanted to do. And and also I think because it went through quite a lot of iterations, that project. It's surprising how um, when I look at the proposal today, how it still stands in a way that we different almost different to did. your PhD. Yeah, very different to <laughs> my PhD proposal. Um, but you know, in a way, it was it was a very well thought through proposal, mm. and we of of course we did slightly different things. Mm. We reacted to what we what we saw and how how things went. But overall, I thought it was it was a very good research mm. agenda that we were able to follow more or less. Mm. And and I was I was very lucky to kind of hire two excellent PhD students. Yeah. Um, and, and I live off that at the moment because for at least a year or so, you know, they they doing the real work and mm. they doing the they they keeping the project running while I do a lot of other things. So my time on the project, if I if I really write it down in hours, has been reduced and reduced and reduced. And that's only possible if you've got good people yeah. you work with yeah, who take over, you know, the running of the yeah. project, and you you have the luxury of stepping in. Um, steering, shaping, making some decisions, but then you can also step out and 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 you know that you don't need to worry about the project; it will run. Mm. You know, it, it, it mm. it's not crashing without you. So, what were some of the big learning curves in stepping into that role as being PI and having two PhD students now? Um, I think um, it for me. I, I think. Learning. The the way I envisioned it was that I I wanted to kind of lead from behind. That was the way that I I, I wanted to kind of lead this project in a way that I I want to give as, as much freedom to the people I work with as possible, um, and and be more the kind of leading by asking questions per person, mm -hmm. and I, and I realized that this this really depends on the kind of person you you have employed. And in a way, in that in that sense, I was very lucky because it worked with with the two that are working for me now. But I also realised that I could have gotten different people, and, and that, that and that would have meant that I would have needed to kind of step up more in, into that leader role and, and really kind of or a different sort of leader, different role. different yeah. sort of leading role. Yeah. So at the moment, I'm actually quite happy and it wasn't too steep of a learning curve for me. It was, it felt quite natural to kind mm. of be in that role because I always, I always loved asking questions. And, and I think that was also something that I learned at Queen Mary, you know, this kind of vetting each other, like, you know, asking the difficult questions in the, amongst the PhDs when you said, but what really is your contribution here? And, and, and can you, can you show that? Or is that just a, you know, a claim, and 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 these these are kind of things that came quite natural to me, mm. and, and I think that it works quite well. Right? Right. And is there anything you'd do differently? 
or if you for the for next project um I'm, yeah i don't know i have a, i think i have a an evernote um sitting somewhere where i can like, write things in to when whenever something comes to mind that i want to do different mm. in the next project um but it, it's a, it's really more about shaping the environment um, and and that this um physical environment or i think it's very much connected i really want to get to this get to a point where i more do like a research studio kind of working together mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. and and uh, it's really hard because it, it the kind of academic work um we do is, is a lot of writing you, you sort of sit down and then you know for hours you don't speak to each other and, and, and even when you're in the same room even yeah, yeah but that was also a conscious decision uh, when i arrived that i want to sit with my two phds so mm-hmm. we had a project office it's three of us in, in one room and that really helped to kind of make this connection and even if i'm not directly involved in in the, the running of the project i at least had half a year on mm-hmm. the ground of, of what's going on you know and i think that's that helped as well but I want to I want to get to a more kind of fluid responsive and integrated way of working where where people sit around the same table and and not behind computers so much and 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 work through I I haven't I haven't found a a perfect solution for that Mm. so I was going to ask you what would that actually look like or be like so you've talked about the round table is that Mm. is that just more um metaphorical or would you actually I would really actually like a, a I would really table. like a, a round table or maybe it's a square table but <laughs> it's a, I had this idea of like turning our project office into an office where that's more like a studio where you, you sort of go in and, and you work with materials and you have a lot of whiteboard space and 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 it's a it's a much more communicative space and then if you have something that you need to focus on and write, you go somewhere else. So right. we have a writing office yeah. that people can use whenever they yeah. they need to. Yeah. Right? And that, I don't know whether that, it's just one of these ideas mm. that we'll, we'll see, depending mm. on space. Mm. <laughs> Which is always an issue in universities. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Things that I want to do differently next time... There's, there's not so much, which also, also I think, um, speaks for how well this project mm. went. I'm, right. I'm really... I remember when I came into the project, I was quite nervous with whether the, the publishing would pick up because I really was in desperate need of kind of having an upward... Your trajectory. CV was. <laughs> yeah, my CV was. And then I remember quite vividly that the first IBC kind of didn't work out that we had like two papers rejected and I was like oh god what if you know I what, what if this project doesn't yield the the, the currency that I need <laughs> um, I, I thought the, the actual work I, I, I had confidence in you know it mm. was it was going well and, and, and I thought that we did interesting stuff and and, and 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 I wasn't I just wasn't quite sure whether it would translate into the kind of into the kind of publications that I would need to kind mm. of restore my academic career mm. to the pl- mm. to to the starting point that I had before. Right? Mm. And um, and then after I don't know in year two we had a, 
had a really really good year and, and now towards the end it became even better and, and so overall that was a really successful and, and, and good project. So, Which isn't unusual when you think about it, is it, that it takes a while for, you know, for the ideas to bed in and to be able to articulate them more clearly uh, in papers. Yeah. And, and But I can imagine the background tension just, of being aware of your CV. Yeah, it's just the... If you, I think if you're coming from a different project, you know, you know that this is the way it works and mm. you have some uh, overhang from the last mm. project and it kind of smooths things out. Yeah. But if you're, if you're starting... You know, to feel the pressure years. after yeah. three years of not publishing very much, you think like, oh God, it's just a I don't know academic mm. anxiety. Mm. So, where do you see your future, and how are you are you being strategic now in in trying to set yourself up for that future? Yeah, I think um, because that project went so well, I yeah, I really could focus a lot more on on trying to rise my profile and, and do everything that I needed to do to you know get up into a position for for what I want to do in the future and um, in, a, in a way that resulted in in me saying yes to almost everything like I did a lot of reviewing I did a lot of service roles um, uh, you know people started asking me and, and I was uh, that that's also a good sign of, of mm -hmm. the networking, um, and and um, I took up some so international roles, but then also some roles within our faculty to kind of be visible there, which is kind of unusual because you're you, I'm employed on a project and and you wouldn't be expected to do any of that, but um, I I I'm I'm sort of like responsible for one of our bachelor studies and and. And initially, that was billed as, as very little work, but it turned out it's actually getting more and more work. Um, and 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 a few other things within the faculty where where I try to kind of rise my visibility so that when people kind of get my I don't know application onto their table, they have a face and 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 they know who I am and what I do. So th those sort of decisions were about putting yourself in a better position for internal jobs that might come up, even yeah. though they might be openly yeah. advertised, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, being, vis being visible. And being, then in the international... Yeah, international, I think it was just, uh, you know, whatever you need as a, as, a, as a academic researcher, you need to kind of um, have good publications, good, good service roles, good, uh, you know, good profile in your CV to mm. kind of be able to... Uh, get new funding um, mm -hmm. to be um, considered for jobs eventually, maybe somewhere else as well. Mm -hmm. So um, you're eventually aiming for a full-time faculty position. Is that I, yeah, where you would I, I was just like a, to go? Yeah, I was. I was just at a breaking point where because my my follow-on project from this one just got funded a, a month ago, mm. and um, and that was a huge relief for me because it really looked as if maybe. It, it all will end, mm. you know, after that mm. really successful project. Um, and I had tried a, a number of other things, obviously, um, follow-on projects, other proposals, and, and I don't know, two, three fell through, and 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 there were there were little opportunities uh, locally at the university. So there was there was just 
nothing really kind of popped up and I really wanted to kind of stay where I am yeah. um, which you know makes you vulnerable in a way because you there's there's little you can do about the place well that you can rise your visibility in the yeah. place you are yeah. but if you're not very flexible in terms of like I could go everywhere yeah. I want you're all you, you know you've, you've got a little leverage um, but um, yeah in, you you essentially kind of build up your CV and you know that it somehow needs to be a good overall picture mm. but you never quite know what it is that makes people think you're good for this or that you know so you end up doing a lot of very different things and you, you, you're saying yes to being on an editorial board you say yes to and all these little things come initially with little work but then it becomes a little bit more work and and you end up spending most of your time with all the little jobs that you said yes to <laughs> and it's hard to say no to something because then you're effectively jeopardizing your cv and, yeah um, and and that's a bit of a silly game right um but i also i don't know i i also have to say i i, I start realizing that i i do like a lot of those jobs so oh, it's, it's, it's like not, which ones in particular i don't know what sort in even? Um, I th I think um, I, I don't think that the reviewing roles are they're they're sort of like interesting because you're reading um, what's out there in yeah. a way automatically you you get a sense of what people are trying to do and and you also get a sense of quality in the field because you see uh, what other reviewers think yeah. about it. <clears throat> yeah, that's great. For calibrating and, it's, yeah, and learning, it's, yeah, I learn a lot exactly. when I get to see other reviews. Um, but it, I think it's it, it's these kind of service roles for conferences and communities that really, you know, are are, are great because it, they connect you with your peers. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, participatory design conference. Mm -hmm. I'm in, on the steering board there, and and this is an amazing group of people. You know, of, of people you you cited for a long time, and then you sit on the same board with them, and and. <laughs> And um, I found um, program committee meetings uh, are equally one of those really amazing events where you come together with, with incredibly smart people yeah. and, and, and you, you get their opinions about other work and you discuss your own work maybe um, in, in the breaks. Uh, it's that importance of the face-to-face -face as well that you were yeah, talking about before. That absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and ultimately, of course, it gives you visibility. You know, yeah. people recognize you. Yeah. Um, um, last year, I, I took over a new um, venue within IDCs, Interaction Design and, and um, Children. Uh, it was a design competition that they decided they mm. wanted to have for that year. And, and we kind of came up with it from scratch. Mm. And, and, and that was interesting, too. You, you, you start... Having influences on a influence on communities, you're you're contributing to the shaping mm. of the field. Mm. You're, you know, um, uh, you you sort of like, um, yeah, you you do your little bits, mm. yeah, and and that's that's a good role. And 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 this year round, I'm, I'm program chair for IDC, and it's quite funny how much tacit knowledge I realize I have gained by doing all the all other the jobs, other roles, right? Yeah. Because yeah. now I. 
I see the publisher emailing to the general chair and says, this, this is not going to work. It's, um, this is where you need to look for this information. And, and this is, um, it's, it's quite funny how, you know, this is, they're, they're, these jobs come, need their own skills almost. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and you're, you're, you're learning those yeah. by doing them. Yeah. Um, there's no handbook to that. But if you said that you're saying yes to lots of things and you're picking up on a new project and it seems like there's an open future again at the end of that project, how are you going to make decisions in the next little while about what you do and how yeah. you position yourself? I have to say, I, w I was really, really relieved and very happy when my successor project got funded. But it, after like a day or so, it, it, that exact thought kind of set in. And so like, I'm, I'm actually in in the same position in yeah. a way you know it's like yeah. I'm still kind of chasing um, that permanent position that I, I'd love to have mm. um, but um, I, I don't know I, I, it, it was it was quite emotionally draining to coming coming up so close to the end of my contract and I thought like if I, I probably really need to do a little bit more so that I will not be in that same position right. again so really kind of starting to diversify um, in terms of career choices earlier and thinking about what else could I do um, outside of academia if this falls through right. and maybe you know um, so that you could scale something up if the need so it there. sounded like sounds like a, this project went really well but coming up to the end it if this other project hadn't come through, you didn't have many other eggs in the basket at that point. Not as an academic. Yeah. I, and um, I, I um, there were a few small opportunities, but I, I felt like, you know, either you go for it in full and you yeah. really want to do it and, and uh, or you do something else. And um, I said... My friend and colleague Ola Everson said that once to me in a similar conversation and, um, and in a similar context, for a similar context. He said, "Like, well, if that's the case, I'm going to pursue one of my many other dreams." And I, and that's that's a very trivial thing to say, but it's it's really very true that you you sometimes it's really healthy kind of take a step back and, and think about what are the kind of dreams that you have, and if you've got enough dreams to do. Mm -hmm. You know, you you, mm. you feel less anxious about right. that one working out or right. not. Um, I, you know, it's quite clear that I would love to kind of do what I'm doing and continue doing it. But I'm also aware that that system could quite easily spit me out at some point. Right. Uh, and and then you know you're gonna um, need to think about what what other dream you want to do next. Mm -hmm. That's that's nice because there's something that you said before that talked about doing all that you can do to put yourself in the best position. But then there's some point where you don't have control over the final decisions. And yeah, absolutely. I also like the way that you talked about it. You know, always talking about it as other dreams. It's not like they're other second best, but they're other options that can be valid choices. I think um, academia is quite hard anyway in terms of like living with your rejections and 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 you know whenever you read harsh reviews mm. or or get a funding proposal rejected mm. and 
and in in that way you you know you need to kind of find a way to to distance yourself from that mm. to, because otherwise it's, it's getting quite emotionally draining but and how are you at doing that um I, I don't know i go through my usual phase of like being angry and, <laughs> and then thoughtful and then agreeing with some of it <laughs> and ignoring others yeah. other advice and yeah. it's the usual yeah. cycle that you go through i think but um i, I try to to kind of um, scale this strategy up to the bigger picture as well and say like you know if academia I, I do think that I do good work and, and, and I do the best I can and and, and, um, and also play the game a little you mm-hmm. know I know how the, the, the game works but ultimately you know if, if that for whatever circumstances uh, doesn't work out um you have to kind of embrace that as a positive thing. It's not, that's obviously not easy, but uh, the, what I like about the phrase, that, about the many other dreams, is mm-hmm. that it, it phrases it as something positive and and, and, and you, you go to a different dream and you fall yeah. out and, and you're yeah. not doing the next best thing that is good enough, yeah. right? Yeah, it's so just I think different. That's, yeah, and, and, and I think that's the that's helping these kind of decisions mm. i think as well but it still must be tough though because there's still this uncertainty whether it's this dream or another dream and mm. you you know you do have two kids and family and you do want to stay living in you know yeah. you would like to make the choice to still stay living in vienna it it i had i mean we we have this you know part of the the reason why we went to brussels was because my partner you know had had a certain security with this permanent job and she effectively now is on leave for I don't know a couple of years from that job. So we have like uh, the absolute um, last parachute that we could um, issue would be mm. that we go back to Brussels and, and and you know she could take up her job there and, mm. and feed the family. So, mm. it's, but obviously you know um, going to different places across Europe, um, moving, uh, you know, uprooting. Yeah. Your your kids from their friends, um, schools, kindergartens. Mm. The older they get, it's yeah, it the, gets the more difficult yeah. it becomes. And and I, I also feel like I'm I'm a bit tired of of doing this. Right? It's like it take it takes me the best time of three years to to be somewhere, you know, and, and to kind of to really feel, feel really feel like in, I have a few numbers in my phone with people I can phone up and say like do you want to have a beer this night mm. uh, and, and, and to, to really be in, in a place mm. it just takes time and it's tiring to kind of rebuild this yeah. a lot yeah. of times and we've done that but um, so you know there is this ultimate safety net that we have which mm. is also quite reassuring mm. um yeah, I don't. I don't. I, that was part of. It's it's not easy to to actually fall into that last safety net. Right? Yeah. And and that was one of my my biggest worries uh, that that if you know when my first project now ends, I just have to kind of uproot my family again, and we need to go back yeah. to Brussels. Yeah. And that thought was just really oh, oh that we we can do this, but right, but it's it's not what we really want yeah it would be tough it, that would be tough really tough yeah so yeah and obviously you know from there you have a number of constraints if you want to live in vienna if you want to 
stay in academia if you're an interaction designer um, it kind of goes down mm. to mm. Um, comes down to a few choices mm. that you have um, and and yeah but that's just um, the that's part of, of of the constraints that make the system work yeah. one way or the other and yeah. it's not completely in your hands right? yeah it's, um, it's not it, it's not completely in your hands and it sounds like you're doing lots that is in your hand to position yourself well and I, and I think that's you know that's how I calm myself down like and also saying like I've done all the, all the things that I think I can do mm. um, and I, I like to think that they're working out well um, but but there's a limit to you know how much control I have over the rest yeah and that's just the mm. rest is a little bit of a lucky coincidence yeah. <laughs> but at least you're facing now another two and a half years yeah. three years of of yeah. some certainty yeah and I, um, one of the downsides really of this this constant worry about your future career is is that you're having less time for doing that kind of amazing research that you wrote about two years mm. ago right and so mm. As I said earlier, like my my actual time on the current project kind of went down and down and down because I needed to write applications, papers, you know, worry about uh, you know profiles and chairing mm. this and chairing that. But um, and with a new project, that's a similar worry. You know, I would really love to be more involved in doing the actual research again. Yeah. Uh, and 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 having a little more certainty would certainly provide you with that freedom to do that yeah. so that, that, that's a difficult yeah. thing and I'm I'm sort of like thinking that I'm, I will try saying less um, yes to, to some things yeah. and because I, I really want to be there when this new project sets off and, yeah. and, and, and gets some momentum mm. uh, going and um, and there will be new people yeah. and, and that's going to be a new challenge yeah, and see mm -hmm. how that works out mm. but there's this yeah do, do, doing a li little bit more research would be nice would wouldn't it <laughs> I, I, I share that wish <laughs> yeah 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 that's I think one of these things I think it's tough uh, to find time many people to find time for research which is crazy but as you said it's part of the game yeah well. and it was also um, that was also interesting actually looking at where I, what kind of position I would want to have, like in, I don't know when. Uh, looking at the people who have them now mm. is not entirely positive. Right? <laughs> in also what be way? Because I see how how busy they are mm. right? and how little they do actually get their hands dirty in mm. their in the research that they they they're driving. Right. Mm. So I think. I would say like, having a small research group to have some freedom over your own mm. research, but actually trying to not make it too big is probably what I'm yeah. sort of like arriving yeah. at. It would be quite nice to kind of have a more immediate mm. connection. Well, it seems good that you're getting a good sense of what you want to do or what sort of yeah, and I'm probably also future um, work environment you would um, ideally like. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I might also be a little bit naive about thinking, you know, when I get to that position, I'm not going to work as much as everybody else. <laughs> but um, I don't know. That's an ambition. Yeah. Let's let's yeah. say it that way. <laughs>
we should probably look at just wrapping up. Um, so, are there any things that we haven't talked about that you would like to talk about or that have been on mm. your mind? Or? I don't know. Not really. I think we've, we've, we've been through my story mm. <laughs> a lot. There's um, many discussions we could have about academic life and different facets of it. Um, what would be a key thing or facet of academic life? Yeah, that you would immediately think of. Um, yeah, I think one key topic that I'm concerned about is that increased push towards um, measuring performance in, in academia. Um, I, have, I don't know what to do about this, but I, I was at, at various... Um, talks about people thinking about new ways of measuring impact um, and, and and I don't know anything that you call quality in research is really hard to mm. kind of pin down and 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 with that you know there comes the publishing model the funding model everything just builds on these kind of fundamental measures of success and um, with very different paradigms and, and different ways of working, it it seems that it's it's a constant fight, you know, defending your work and sometimes playing a game. Although that's not exactly what you would need to do if you stayed true to your own paradigm. So playing the game in writing up the proposal in a way that you yeah. think is going to be more acceptable. Yeah, exactly. And it's also that plays out differently for different people in different situations because I have a full-time position that you know, I can keep till I retire if I want to. Yeah. So I don't have that pressure of worrying about what's going to happen in three years' time. And you're in a different situation of how do you trade off the time to think and to write and get your hands dirty in the research versus you know, and chasing... And you need both, right? Yeah. You need a good publication yeah. record and you need yeah. time to write that proposal yeah. and you need to... So you sort of like, um, it would be amazing to kind of have a bigger project maybe in time for it. That, that's mm. some, some of the things mm. that tenure would give you, right? Mm. And, and that's, uh, yeah, that, that's great. But I, I think even on, in tenure positions, you know, pressure is mounting up. Because um, there are going to be increasing annual reviews yeah. or five-year promotions. So I don't know, there's only the next carrot hanging in front of you yeah. that you're yeah. running after. So you just have to enjoy the work now. <laughs> I love my PhD for that. I, I, I remember vividly that Pat Healy told me that his PhD time was the best of his life. And while we were doing it, it sounded a bit preposterous. I know. Like, oh, really? You've got no money and you, just, you don't know what to do. And, and every time you meet your supervisor, you're depressed. And, um, but it... You know, in hindsight, he was he was yeah. absolutely right. It's, yeah. it's the time of intellectual freedom, yeah. and, and and you know you can you've got, you've got three years only to do one thing. Yeah, which is, isn't that amazing? I know it is amazing, <laughs> and I I also say that to PhD students, and I know that it's hard to conceive of when you're in the middle of it. Mm. But yeah, I think many of us look back and think that <laughs> that was some of the best days. That's, yeah. that's the trade. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you very much for chatting. And well, it's been a pleasure.
may there be good options at the end of the next project. Yeah, we'll see. Many dreams. Yeah, and good dreams at the end of the <laughs> next project, indeed. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. You can find the summary notes and related links for this podcast on www.changingacademiclife.com. You can also subscribe to Changing Academic Life on iTunes and now also on Stitcher. And you can follow Change Acad Life on Twitter. And if something connected with you, please consider sharing this podcast with your colleagues so that we can widen the conversation about how we can do academia differently.